Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. We're talking about freedom this month, and it's kind of like, okay, this is Independence Month. We just celebrated Independence Day, and that's kind of the theme of what we're talking about. And uh, when I was 17, my dad got me a Mustang II. It wasn't a real Mustang. It was like a stepchild Mustang. It was a Mustang II, but it had a V8 engine. And we're in Southern California, and it rained, like little light rain. You know when it just first rains, it makes everything slick. It doesn't really do anything. It just makes the roads messy. So as a 17-year-old, I'm pulling onto the freeway, and when I made that turn, I hit the gas and it was just wet enough that the wheels broke, and I started spinning in circles on the on-ramp. And all I saw was bushes, road, bushes, car, bushes, road, like just spinning in circles. And I remember, I remember that feeling of freedom that I'd had 30 seconds before. All of a sudden, I was driving very carefully and cautiously, and I didn't feel as free as I did a few minutes before that that happened. So I think those, those are the things that... Uh, that teach us those life moments that we, we learn about freedom and then we learn about the responsibilities of freedom. And I want to talk to you today. I, there are two types of freedom. And I think that for the most part, we, we concentrate a lot on an external type of freedom. The external type of freedom is the freedom that we carry as an indiv- the individual rights that we carry in our bodies as a person, right? Uh, we have freedom of movement. We have freedom of association. We have freedom of religious expression. The other kind of freedom that I want to discuss this morning, and we're going to get a little bit more deeply into, is an internal kind of freedom. That internal kind of freedom is a work of the heart, a work of the spirit that God does within us. And I think that the world system is focused, and the enemy desires that we get so focused on the external type of freedom that we miss what it looks like to live in that internal type of freedom. And I want to look at kind of the the differences and kind of break this down a little bit about how this works, because there are parallels and there are similarities, but they are not the same. Uh, They prophesy to each other. In other words, there are places where freedom of the heart can lead to freedom of external circumstances. And there are places where external circumstance freedom can facilitate a, a doorway or a pathway to walking in freedom in your heart. But it all rests in Christ, and that's why he came. And I wanted to look at, first of all, this morning, in Luke 4, 18 and 19, I've shared this with you before, but I feel like it, it's such a foundational, foundational principle that it was the first scripture, first teaching that Jesus spoke in the synagogue when he began his earthly ministry. And it's really a quote from Isaiah. Uh, and in Luke 4, 18 and 19, this is what Jesus read in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, it's time. What you've been looking forward to, what you've been, what the prophets have prophesied about, what the law spoke of, the, the shadow of all this, all of the law prescriptions of the sacrifices and all of the, the rituals and the feasts, All of that stuff was prophesying that Messiah would come and Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he read out of Isaiah and he said, it's time. This is the acceptable time. This is the time that God has sent me to set things right in the world. And I want to look at this a little bit more closely because that word brokenhearted, he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that word brokenhearted means to break, to break into pieces or to shiver which means to cut down into little pieces. That's where we get the term, our shiver me timbers. 
means you're taking a bigger piece of wood and you're slicing it down into those tiny pieces of wood. It means broken and shattered. And again, when he says towards the end of that verse, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, that word oppressed means, again, different word, similar meaning, means to break, break in pieces, or to shatter. When Jesus came, he was specifically seeking, he was seeking out those who were broken in heart, who were broken in spirit, and he says, I am going to make you whole. And I believe that that is the whole goal of a relationship with Jesus Christ, wholeness, salvation, healing, that we would be whole again, because sin is designed to shatter us. And there are places in our lives that are broken and shattered that we have, may have glossed over and moved on and are not even aware of because God has given our heart, God has given our soul an amazing survival capability that when we are shattered, we just pick up the strongest piece and we move forward. And there's all these other pieces that are lying in the dust behind us. They're buried way deep that we don't even know about until we hit what the world calls what, that midlife crisis? When the crap cup is full and things start to overflow and we don't know how to manage anymore the way we've been surviving, like all of our coping mechanisms are failing us. And I think sometimes even as Christians, and this was my journey, I had too many answers for too long. I was too self-sufficient for too long. And all of my coping mechanisms had to fail me. All my strength had to fail me. All my religious answers, my memorized scriptures, my theological concepts had to fail me before I was finally willing to open myself up and allow God to come into those shattered places before I could acknowledge them and recognize them, wow, I'm way more messed up than I realized. And I'm not here to, to kind of run you down and say, you're messed up. You guys are a mess. No, I'm saying I want to bring hope because when Jesus says, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, I have come to bring freedom and liberty, those who are oppressed, that is the promise of the relationship with the living God because you and I were created to walk in love and to walk in wholeness. That's our design. That's our birthright as a son and daughter of heaven. But we have been robbed of that birthright. And if you don't know what you've been robbed of, you don't know what you're missing, but there's something. There's something. And we look to fill it with all the things the world has to offer, whether it's, whether it's riches or fame or title or position or even family or relationship or nice house, nice car, whatever it is we try to plug into that place. These are all counterfeit solutions. The only actual true solution is a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. That's what we were created and designed for. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul writes that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face or uncovered face, open face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we enter into worship and we sing songs and we sing lyrics like, come Holy Spirit, come, pour out your spirit, Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, right? There is healing, there is wholeness. So when we come into worship and we lift up our spirits to touch the spirit of God, we're inviting him to come into these broken places because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. People come, <laughs> when we had our first church plan, I used to joke, there were people that didn't even know we sang songs. Because they would come like, you know, 20, 30 minutes late, and then they would come just for like the meat of it. They wanted the word, right? They were the word people. They want the, they want the concepts. They want the principles. They want the teaching. And I used, to, I used to be that way. I was very like doctrinally focused. And like, uh, I remember when I grew up, we sang hymns, right? 
and you sing the first, the second, and the last, you don't sing the third because that's just too much time. Nobody's got time for the third verse of that hymn. Like, we got to get through this, right? And you don't sing it over and over and over again. You just move on through, and then you're done. Start to finish, done. No lollygagging. (laughs) No tarrying around the middle. Let's get her done. And I remember when God began to touch my heart in worship. And it was a different experience for me when when his spirit began to bear witness with my spirit in worship. And it wasn't just theological principles that I was just agreeing with and like, yeah, that's right. But it was, it was a language of the heart. It was a language of the soul that he began to touch me with. He began to meet me there. And the manifest presence of God in worship has done more healing and more restoration in my life than any sermon I've ever heard preached. So we take time, just so you know, just to qualify this, we take time on a Sunday morning to to commune with the Spirit of God because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God can do things in worship that he can do with, that he, he doesn't do when somebody's just talking to you about it because he shows up. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And we begin to lift up his name and we begin to reach out to him. And, and, and through worship, through corporate worship, I think there's a magnification of the presence of God and stuff starts to happen. And that's not at all what my message is about. <laughs> but that part's free. When we're looking at freedom and we start to define what freedom is, I think a lot of religion looks at the external. Like if religion is going to define freedom, it's all going to be external issues. It's not going to be that inward freedom. And religion actually puts its own form of bondage, which Sam talks about last week, which I thought he did a a fantastic job. We need to make sure we understand the true definition of what freedom looks like. We cannot allow the world to define freedom for us. Because if I have internal freedom, you can take away all my external freedoms and you haven't robbed me of my freedom because you can't take the freedom of soul, the freedom of spirit that God gives me as my birthright. But if I don't have internal freedom and I have all external freedom, Jesus said, what does it profit if I gain the whole world but you lose your soul, right? So I can lose one and not the other. Or if I don't have internal freedom and I lose my external freedom, I've lost it all. So in my view and in, in, in my understanding, that internal freedom of soul and spirit that God gives us, gifts to his sons and daughters, is much more valuable and precious than the external freedom that mostly we fight for. Now, I'm not saying don't fight for external freedom. I believe in freedom. I, I love that our, our individual freedoms are enshrined and protected by the Constitution. They weren't created by the Constitution, but they're protected by the Constitution because our rights come from God. And I think that's something worth fighting for and preserving. I think we got to advocate for that freedom around the world, because every person created in the image of God deserves that freedom. It's their birthright. But if we do that to the exclusion of fighting for that internal freedom that Jesus died for, to purchase on the cross, even as believers, then we're missing the heart of the story. And that was my journey. Many of you have heard my testimony, but I was born in a Christian home. My parents were in Bible college when I was born. They went to Mexico when I was two years old as missionaries. I grew up in Mexico, si hablo espanol. Un poquito. I can, I can order you a taco and I can find the bathroom for you if we're there. <clears throat> and I gave my heart to Jesus at an early age because I grew up around the gospel. My parents had a, had a heart to go and give the gospel to indigenous people groups in Mexico. We were with the Tarahumara Indians and then the Maya Indians, and then we ended up in Tijuana when I was in high school. So all through my life, I had a desire to have a connection with God, and I tried to do it through my service through my gaining knowledge or good doctrine, 
Now, I legitimately gave my heart to Jesus. Like, I, the, the gospel of salvation came to rest in my heart, and I was a child of God. But the sonship, the sonship that comes with being in relationship with God eluded me. I just felt like a servant. Man, I'm just lucky to be here. And, oh, you know, I used to joke with my friend in Bible college. We, we'd joke about, you know, if we, you know, when we get into heaven, we'll just be thankful to lick the streets of gold clean. Like, just, just happy to be there. But we didn't have, we didn't have a vision or understanding of the, the sonship, of being a beloved son, of being a beloved daughter. It was like, you're saved by grace through faith. Now go earn it kind of thing. You can't earn it, but, you know, you better make it worth his while kind of thing. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more, save me more, heal me more. I, I can't make him do more in my life than he wants to do that's already in his heart to do for me. Now, I can cooperate with him, but I can't make it happen, if, if you understand what I'm saying. And in my late 30s, God began to do a work when everything started to fail me. I was a pastor. We had three small children. Ministry was strained. Our marriage was strained. My heart was strained. And everything that I had leaned on, all my knowledge and understanding, all my service, all my works, I fasted, I prayed, I served harder, I tried to run up that hill a little bit harder. All of those things started to fall apart. And when I finally reached that broken end, God said, finally, now we can get to work. And he began to do a work in my heart of restoration that led to, and I'm flying the colors today, heart freedom. What he walked Pam and I through saved our marriage. I believe it saved my life. I believe that it transformed my identity. And I was able to appropriate and receive who it was that he said I was, rather than trying to create something that I felt would be acceptable to the world around me. And the freedom that God came to give that I was robbed of for so many years finally began to break through. And I'm sharing this with you today because as a Christian, as a saved individual, I was robbed of the freedom and wholeness, that restoration, that taking those shattered pieces and putting them back together that Jesus came to purchase with his death on the cross. And that's what I believe God has for each and every one of us. Now, we need to understand that when we arrive on the planet, we're born into bondage, separation from God. We're under the bondage of sin. Like that's just, we inherited that from mom and dad all the way back to Adam and Eve. It wasn't anything we did. wasn't anything we chose. We just kind of were like born into it. And because of that, we were separated from him and we didn't have that identity of being a son and daughter of God. And at some point in our lives, as God draws our heart and reveals himself to us, we have the opportunity to step into relationship with him that we call that getting saved, becoming born again, becoming a part of the family of God, right? Then that begins the process of sanctification. Now, I've had Christians argue with me when I talk about my testimony, and they're like, well, when I got saved and I got the Spirit of God and all that other stuff got burned out of me, right? Because the Spirit of God came in and was there. Uh, no. <laughs> when the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, behold, he's a new creation, all things are passed away and all things have become new. That's true because of what Jesus did on the cross. But listen, it's like God gives you a check to fully pay everything that you owe and some. And I'm like, I got it. I have the check. But if I don't go deposit that check in the bank, then that check is just a piece of paper that sits there and it doesn't pay anything, right? 
So when God says all things become new, old things are passed away, I have to take that promise and I have to apply it to those places in my life that need to be made new. I have to take that promise of God and apply the blood of Jesus as a son of God into those places of bondage and brokenness, invite him into those broken places. That's why in Revelation 3.20, when he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, it was written to the church. He's talking to believers. He's talking to saved people saying, I'm knocking on the door. What door is he knocking on? The broken places. The doors that are hiding in the broken places. And he says, I want to come in there. And if I let him in, he'll come in and he'll heal and restore and make new. When I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the life that I lived and I thought, man, how did I miss it for so long? And I was meditating on it. I just kind of, I started thinking about, you know, how do you train an elephant? Elephants are massive. Like I've seen videos of elephants throwing cars into the trees yet they can be led around with a rope. Or a little boy can sit on the the back of an elephant and he can guide an elephant to do work or to lift things or to to go where he wants them to go. How do you train something that's so powerful, so massive, something that could just step on you and it's over? Well, you don't start when they're massive. You start when they're small. You start before they know the strength they have. And you begin to train and fashion their understanding and their belief system so that they don't think that they can overpower you or they don't think that they can overcome what it is you want them to do. It's really kind of diabolical if you think about it. But you, you chain a baby elephant to a stake in the ground that he can't pull out. Then when he's massive and he could just walk away if he wants to, he doesn't believe he can walk away because he's been conditioned his whole life to believe he's trapped in this place and that that little rope or chain is going to keep him in place. And that's exactly what the enemy comes to do to you and I. He comes to places of innocence. He comes to places where we don't even know what kind of battle we're in yet. And he starts to plant seeds of belief systems into our hearts and our minds and our understanding so that as we grow and we read the scriptures and the amazing promises of scripture, there's somewhere down in here that there's this little seed of doubt that says, yeah, but I don't don't think I can do that. I don't think I can live like that. I don't think I can, I can become that. Maybe pastor so-and-so or maybe evangelist so-and-so or prophet so-and-so or the apostle, you know, Dr. Reverend Hyde. But not me. And I lived a life as a Christian where I believe God would perform a miracle in your life. I'd seen miracles in the lives of others, but I didn't believe it for me because of the belief system that I had been given. And I found that I was living life as a captive and living life as a captive led me to live life as a prisoner. And the difference between a captive and a prisoner, a captive has been taken against his will and subjected to bondage. A prisoner is doing time based on their own actions and choices. And if I live life with captive mentality, I'm gonna end up doing things that cause me to be a prisoner as well because I'm gonna accept those counterfeit solutions that the enemy is offering to me and I'm gonna violate the law, I'm gonna violate righteousness and I'm gonna end up being imprisoned for my, my crimes, my sins. But Jesus came to set at liberty the captives. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 is one of the most empowering verses I think that I've come across uh, probably in the last 20 years. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 24, the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy, who's, who's a, a young pastor. He's, he's a young leader in the church. And he says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth 
and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It puts into perspective a lot of stuff that I was wrestling against in my life. Even people that, you know, those, those difficult people that you try to bear with or have a relationship with, and you're like, man, I just, I don't like them. They're mean. Like, they're hard to get along with. They're difficult. Well, they've been taken captive by the enemy. They're ensnared, and they're doing the will of the devil, right? So uh, there's a lot of times where I speak with, you know, with Christians, and they're talking about a friend or family member or coworker or boss or whoever, and they're just like, they, you can tell, like, they, this person is just antagonizing their life making their life hell. And we lose that perspective of this person has been taken captive by the devil. They're not the devil. That person is not the devil. They have been taken captive to do the work of the devil. So we look at them as they're the enemy, the person, the thing, the adversary that I have to overcome. But the Bible also says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. And when we understand that person is in bondage, maybe our heart can shift and we can begin to have compassion for our worst enemy and understand they are being taken captive against their will to do the work of the devil. That absolutely transforms relationship. Even in church relationships, when someone, when there's a difficult, like a, a just a, a kind of a, a grinding ad, adversarial place that we come to with a brother or sister in Christ, we can understand, okay, God, we're not seeing eye to eye. There's a problem. There's a difficulty. And I don't want to like see them as the enemy. So God, what's going on in their heart? But what's going on in my heart? Am I trying to use counterfeit solutions? Am I trying to exert control manipulation? Am I, am I using power techniques? Am I trying to win my own way, establish and dominate my own will? God, what do you have to say about this? If we could step back for a second of the physical circumstances that are going on and look at that inward issue, that inward issue of the heart, what is happening here? And God, your will be done. Invite Holy Spirit. Invite the spirit of liberty into that place so that he can transform the situation and the relationship. And most often, he'll probably start by transforming you. I read this online, and it, it, it made me laugh, and then it cut me deep. It said, always remember you were created in the image of God, and so is the other jerk you're arguing with. <laughs> and when I read it, it made me laugh, and then I thought, oh, oh. Because when we think we're right, that makes them unrighteous, right? Because we're right. We're righteous. We've got this figured out. They're just wrong. Well, what if they're just ensnared? What if they just can't see? Maybe our prayer and our heart ought to be towards them coming to freedom and liberty rather than succumbing to my opinion or my will. And then a prisoner, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. One who's doing time because of the sinful choices that they've made. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. This was another transformative place in my life when I recognized, wait a minute, those things in my life that I feel are so big, I can't overcome them. There is some point in my life that I went and I submitted myself to them and now I'm stuck as a slave. I accepted their counterfeit solution. Whether it's rage and anger, whether it's fear and anxiety, panic, whether it's envy, jealousy, whether it's greed, whether it's pride, whether it's lust, anywhere that we have gone and said, hey, this is the thing in this moment I need to survive, 
when I accept that counterfeit solution, when I accept that sinful solution in place of what God says needs to happen, because I don't see any other options, because I don't know any better, right? The enemy comes in those places where we don't know any better, and he says, here, this is what you need in this moment. And we grab it, and we take it in, and now we're a prisoner, we're a slave, because we made the choice and we took it. But thank God when Jesus came, he says, I have come to bring liberty to the captives, a release of prisoners, a healing of the broken. And what I want to encourage you to do today is I want you to encourage you to go to those places and begin to say, God, are there broken places that I'm carrying? There are places where you and I continually react, continually respond out of fear or out of anger or out of, out of frustration or out of judgment or you know, whatever it is that come, that place that you keep coming around and keep tripping over that same thing. Maybe it's not every day. Maybe it's, you know, once a month it happens. Maybe once a year you find yourself there. Maybe in your marriage or in your home, you guys go around the circle and you keep coming back to the same spot and tripping over the same things over and over and over again. Most likely there's a place of brokenness that you've not yet identified that requires the healing that Jesus gives that you've not yet invited in. Even as believers, because God continually works in us. What he began in us, the Bible says that the good work he began in us, he will be faithful to complete until the day of salvation. He's not done. He wasn't done when you prayed the prayer and you accepted him and you became a son or daughter of God. That was the starting line, not the finish line. It's kind of like marriage, right? A lot of guys get to the altar and they say the ideas and they think, whew, got that done. Mission accomplished. And most women, most wives are like, it's a starting gun. Here we go. We're starting our lives together. It's going to be more and more and more of what we just had in the dating relationship. And guys are thinking, well, no, now I've got to, you know, I've got to get to work. We've got to get a house and my kids are coming. Like, I've got responsibilities. I don't have time for this dating stuff. Difference is in perspective. So when you and I give our lives to God, the starting gun went off and sanctification began. He says, let me work on this here. Let me work on that there. Let me help you with this. Let me heal that in you. Hey, let me shave that off. That doesn't really reflect who I am. That doesn't belong to you. That, doesn't, that shouldn't be there. Let me help you with that. And if we're not aware of what's happening, if we're not aware of what God's doing in us, we don't know where to cooperate or where to yield or where to surrender or where to give him his way in those things. And sometimes we can end up looking and acting and sounding just like the rest of the world. And people don't even know to ask us about the hope that lies within us because they don't see the hope. But if we're submitting and surrendering ourselves to this process of sanctification, this, this fashioning of, of taking us from where we were trapped in captives to sin and beginning to fashion us to look more and more like Jesus, if we're submitted and yielded and cooperating in that journey, we're going to find places of breakthrough, places of freedom. We're going to find places of just of revelation of like, oh, I had no idea, but now I know. So I can't live like I lived yesterday because today I know a truth that I didn't know before because the spirit of God, the spirit of liberty came and revealed something to me. I think one of the deepest places that Pam and I walked through was we would find ourselves in this situation where we were at odds and it felt like a fight for our very survival. I don't know if you've ever been there in a marriage or friendship, family relationship, maybe coworker, but you feel like I'm in this argument again. Here we are again. And if I lose this argument, I feel like I'm going to lose my very self. And I have got to win this at all costs. And I'll keep making stuff up until I win because this is my very survival. Because the enemy wants us to believe that the stakes are just that high. And when I recognize my internal freedom cannot be robbed from me by the opinion of my spouse, 
When I stand on that foundation of freedom, because he's the one that gives me my identity, he's the one that makes me whole, I can lean into what they're saying and start, you know, becoming, why do you feel that way? Okay. So things that I've done that make you feel this way, you think, like, maybe I still think they're wrong but I can do it from a place of freedom and a place of safety, a place of comfort rather than a place of survival, which is what leads to the breakdown of relationship. And somebody's got to go first. Because if both of us are entrenched in survival, there's not going to be healing. There's not going to be freedom. There's not going to be breakthrough. So I would encourage you, whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever your state is in life, whatever your relationship field looks like, get your identity whole in Jesus because nobody can rob that from you. Your boss can't take it from you. Your your bank account can't take it from you. The HOA can't take it from you. The government can't take it from you. Your spouse can't take it from you. Your mom and dad, your brother, sister, nobody can take it from you. If you are secure in Christ, and it's secure people in Christ that can transform the world by bringing the spirit of liberty into situations where before it was just a fight. The greatest weapon that we have to fight for freedom is our faith. Where we choose to put our belief. That's why the enemy fights so hard to win your faith. The enemy wants you to believe his word over the word of God. The enemy wants you to believe his lie over the truth that God has. And when we operate by putting our faith and trust and belief in the lie of the enemy, then we experience the fruit of what that lie brings. Emptiness, brokenness, bondage, captivity. When we put our faith and trust in the truth of God, we find a place of freedom that not only is not impacted by the circumstances around us, but in it begins to impact the circumstances around us. It begins to change things around us because the truth of God is greater than the circumstances that you're living in right now. And if we believe that, then there's no circumstance that can intimidate us. Do you see the power in putting my faith and trust in the word of God over everything else around me, over how I feel, over what others are saying, over what the enemy is screaming in my ear. When I can stand in faith and trust that I have a good father, I can trust him. He holds me in his hand and there's nothing in this world that can separate me from him. Then I'm not fighting for survival then I can be an agent of love. I can be an agent of transformation. I can be an agent of wholeness. I can transform and I can, I can alter atmospheres. I can bring the presence of heaven. I can bring the spirit of freedom. We've just got to put our faith in what the word of God says and what, what the spirit of God says and what the heart of God says. We have to believe what God says about us above and beyond what the accuser says because the accuser is always accusing. The accuser is always accusing. And a lot of times we feel like people are running us down or accusing us or, or, or talking about us bad. A lot of times that's the voice of the accuser coming through them. And when we understand where the battle truly is, we can just kind of ignore what people are saying and we can go right to the source and we say, that's not true because here's what my dad says. Here's what my father in heaven says. This is what the word of God says. And this is what I'm standing on. And this is where my strength and my power come from. This is where my wholeness and my healing come from. And right now today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we're finishing our time. I want to encourage you to ask God where those shattered places are, where those broken down places, where are those places where seeds have been planted that you maybe haven't been aware of. Maybe you're tripping over the roots, but you don't even know what's going on. How do I always end up back in this place? 
How do I always end up going from church to church, being disappointed, hurt, and broken because those people? Well, those people are probably captives too. There's broken people wherever you go. I mean, I, I don't know if you realize this. As a young man, I went from job to job. I went from church to church looking for the perfect place. It's not there. There isn't one. There's no perfect boss. There's no perfect job. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. Sorry. Anytime people are involved, there's going to be flaws. There's going to be a mess. That's why some people, like, they try to avoid marriage. It's like, it doesn't matter what relationship you're in. There's going to be a mess. But wholeness and healing is worth it. What God creates out of a mess can be a beautiful, beautiful thing because he gives beauty for ashes. So if there are broken down, splintered, shattered places in your life today, I want to invite you to invite the spirit of freedom into those places. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask some of our, our prayer, uh, prayer people to come down. Listen, there are probably things in your life that you have been wrestling with for years. And you've prayed or you've read or you've talked to people I'm going to invite you today. If you want someone to come alongside you and believe with you for breakthrough, for truth, for God to come into this place and make it whole, we want to give you an opportunity to pray with you, to stand with you, to believe with you for the promise that God has for your life. So my invitation today is that as worship leads us, you would come to one of these, these prayer partners down front here and you would allow us to, to walk with you through this journey. You would allow us to believe with you and pray with you. It's not weakness. It's not weakness to bear one another's burdens. It's not weakness to call in reinforcements is what the Bible tells us to do. So whether you need prayer or your job situation, or maybe it's an internal work of your own heart. I, man, I get stuck. I get lost. I start spinning. I evolve anxiety, panic, whatever it is. I want to invite you to come. Take, take a step of faith an activation, a prophetic act of God. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to go around this circle anymore. God, I want your freedom and wholeness to come into this place. And just come, let us pray. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.